Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What is up, Geekscapists? This is Caitlin from Final Frontier, the podcast where we talk about the science behind science fiction. Today, I am joined by amazing engineer Kim Stedman. She works for JPL, and she is the systems engineer on Perseverance, or as we know it, the Mars rover. She got her Bachelor of Science and Master of Science in Aerospace Engineering from Georgia Tech, and she currently works at JPL. She's also worked on missions as uh, Cassini Hugens on to Saturn and at the Mars Science Laboratory. Hi, Kim. Hi. Woo. <laughs> Woo. That was a mouthful of stuff. You've done so much. So just briefly, we talked a little bit in the preamble, but um, you were inspired by Star Trek. Is that what got you into wanting to be an engineer? And what did uh, Scotty do to kind of influence that? Well, yeah. So when I was a kid, I watched reruns of the original series, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to boldly go. Um, I wanted to be an astronaut. But then, you know, my eyesight wasn't so good, and <sighs> I really don't like turbulence. And back then, your eyesight had to be really, really great to become an astronaut. And so I thought, well, I'll be an engineer, an aerospace engineer, and I will design things that go into space, whether they take humans or they're robotic. And I got very lucky and uh, got a job at JPL. And now I work on Mars rovers mostly. That's really awesome. Um, so I messed up earlier and I, and I, I thought the perseverance was curiosity. Did you also work on curiosity? I did. I've worked on curiosity. Um, I've also worked on opportunity. Ah, curiosity, so. perseverance, and opportunity, I feel like are the three, you know, components of the Federation. <laughs> yeah, they really are. Yeah. <laughs> you have to take advantage of every opportunity. I know. Um, the coolest part about talking to because we've had uh kevin who you know on the show mm -hmm. yep. um and i've been talking to jessica and all those you know all of all the the all the nerds um what's fun about for me about interviewing scientists as opposed to interviewing um creatives is the the level of inspiration that comes from um uh, science fiction upon what you do have you mm -hmm. seen in your work anything that was definitely like pulled from a science fiction idea. And you're like, we could do that. 
Well, I mean, a lot of people that work at places like JPL, I mean, they were into science fiction, either reading the books or watching TV shows and movies or actually both. My friend calls uh, science, science fiction the gateway drug into the STEM careers. Oh, geez. So, you know, we take inspiration where we can, but mostly it's just inspiration to get in there and do that. And also the inspiration that there's no problem that we can't solve. Because in operations, once our spacecraft are either in orbit around another planet or they're on another planet, we have problems that come up that we have to find a workaround, a solution for. And it's the inspiration from those shows that makes us think, well, surely we can solve this. Yeah. And I feel like, oh, keep going. I was going to say, sometimes you just have to think outside the box. Yeah. Um, I know that you also, uh, you like Star Wars as well, but um, do you feel like Star Trek is the more kind of like, how do we solve this problem of all of the science fiction shows that we have? Because we've got a lot of space exploration sci-fi happening right now with like the expanse with Orville and, you know, all this other stuff. But yeah, there's so much now that it's impossible for one person to keep up with it. Mm. But Star Wars to me is always like, I think Lucas even said himself, Star Wars is space fantasy. Mm. And I mean, I was sitting in that theater in 1977 when Star Wars hit the screens and I was amazed Uh, We'd never seen anything like that before. It just changed everything. And since then, we've gotten so much Star Trek, and now Star Wars just seems to go on and on. And they've got some really great stuff out now, like The Mandalorian. and Love The Mandalorian. Really, really good stuff. So it's very inspirational. Yeah. And even with, like, the – I think Lucas was really inspired more so by engineering and, like, the hardware of things than the kind of, like – theoretical of things because he he designed cars as a kid he loved stock car racing so it's cool that we that even if it is space fantasy and not not science fiction it's kind of cool that we have a franchise that's more based off of like the nuts and bolts of everything um and it's kind of inspiring that that like that go 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 but it's not about how it goes less so yeah and i think a lot of the the genius of george lucas was behind the camera I mean, look at what they have on the Mandalorian, the volume. I mean, that that's what he wanted back when he made Star Trek or Star Wars. Sorry, that's oh, that's horrible. But when he first made the, the first Star Wars in 77, that's in his brain what he saw yeah. and he just couldn't make it. Yeah. So, and I think but, he, he's been trying to go back and kind of fix everything, you know, as the technology gets better and better and better, um, you know, and I think Industrial Light and Magic, because it came out of 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 star wars they've had to figure out like retrofit how to make everything look good on screen um and i there's a, a great documentary out on disney plus right now called light and magic i saw it ha- yay i saw I love, it awesome i totally love this awesome. i love this stuff when they're like breaking down the camera and it's like you're seeing all the like nuts you're seeing all like the the for lack of a better term engineering of of you know how do you engineer space and how do you engineer all of these things that have never been seen before and that's kind of like what you do on the real life it it really is because you know several times i interviewed people in that documentary where they're like we need you to do this go do it and the person was like well i have no idea how to do that that happens to us all the time yeah and you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable you have to be able to where i work you have someone has to they tell you we need this problem solved and when you first get that assignment you have no idea how to do it but you know the steps that you need to do and so you just go off and you work it until you have a solution just like they did. Yeah, I think my favorite part of episode 1 was when we're trying to get the uh uh 
the transporter to transport the the liquid into Spock's eyes. Oh, yeah. And and my favorite moment was like, this is Ortega's. Find a way to make it happen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and I don't know how to do that. You have to. And poor Kyle's just like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do it. Because yeah. they, you know, television, but also, you know, real life. Yeah, it so, is. And, and you need inspiration in real life. And if you can get it from something like that, and it's like, like in the Apollo 13 movie, when they're like, we need to make this filter fit in where this filter goes, and this is what we have to do it with. And oh they throw God. everything out on the table that the Apollo 13 astronauts had on the, in, in space, and they just had to come yeah. up with a way to do that. Yeah. God, that's nuts to me. The nuts and bolts of it. Yep. So episode three, we are on episode three of Strange New Worlds, which I'm obsessed with, as everybody on this show knows very well. And all of my friends who are very sick of being talking about it all the time. <laughs> Mine too. Um, but we are on episode three, which is called The Ghosts of Illyria, which I really like this episode because it is very number one centric and I like her. Um, no, uh, There will be spoilers, so turn back if you do not want spoilers. Um, but the basic of the episode is the USS Enterprise encounters a contagion that ravages the ship. And one by one, the entire crew is incapacitated, except for number one, Unichin Riley, who must now confront a secret she's been hiding as she races to find a cure. So this episode kind of starts with a contagion episode, mm-hmm. which are very, which, you know, we know from being hardcore TOS fans is super big in TOS universe. Yeah, it shows up in all of them. I know. And but my one is um, I think the one that refer, that I refer back to all the time is the naked time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where it where uh, with uh, where Sulu with the sword and, you know, it's George Takei being amazing. Mm-hmm. But I remember that one. It was like the crew becomes infected. I believe that the water in the body became alcohol. Yeah, something like that. And like, but it all started with like one member, you know, touches something like one he took off his glove. God, and he, they even kind of did that in this episode where he's kind of like looking and you mm-hmm. see the kind of specks coming through it. Um, and I did a little bit of research and the Contagion episodes are so prevalent and they're reflective of like actual sea ships becoming like Petri dishes for viruses like back in, you know, ye olden mm-hmm. times when we had sails. Um, and I really liked the incorporation of such a trope of Star Trek but I feel like it was modernized because of, I think it was because of the light. I don't know how, but do you feel like it was modernized and used um, in a different way? Uh, Cause I feel like what strange new world is doing is taking, especially the strange new world tropes, even though contagion shows up in all of the uni- in all of the shows. But I feel like this felt more like a contagion that we would see in TOS. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I do. Um, and I, I also wondered if they did that because it spread by the light instead of like, you know, people sneezing or something because we had just had the COVID, COVID thing here. And so they, I felt like didn't want to make it look too much like COVID because when, when the lockdown first happened here, I was rewatching Deep Space Nine. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And I hit their contagion episode. I'm like, nope, <gasps> nope can't, can't watch it. Too no, close. Too topical. And then I hit another episode of theirs that, that was about race relations. And I was like, and that was, you know, very topical too and it had been how many years since deep space nine was on that is what i think makes star trek fantastic is they cover these these human issues that we're always right. going to be hitting and yeah 
and seeing it from the other side of like the optimism side and also like and like you because you mentioned COVID and we had gone through this pandemic and the and you know you they the when Una goes on the ship's uh, loudspeaker and says everyone is quarantined to their quarters except mm-hmm. for the pe- and it's like we were getting quarantined and they were we were getting work pods like if you're potted you're, right. you're you have to stay there. And it's like, it felt very much, you know, I work on film sets, as I told you earlier, and it felt mm-hmm. like, you know, you're in zone A or in zone B or whatever. And um, that was where it kind of became real for me. But what was different about it, and I think why I didn't, I got the kind of like, oh, this is kind of like COVID, but it was still like, this is enough of Star Trek and it's different enough that I'm not like trauma triggered. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad they did it that way because I was really interested in the episode and couldn't figure out how this was being transmitted and yeah. why the the transporter didn't catch it oh my god and it was like the but it was the positive addiction aspect of it Mm -hmm. that they were not it wasn't like they were like comatose and dying it was like they were addicted to light but to light yeah but it was like what could kill them was like them bringing more light in and like them bringing more energy and like freaking hammer with the freaking i know (laughs) i was like what is he doing but he was so calm oh it'll be here in just a few seconds I didn't catch it in the beginning when he was like in the like transporter room. I was like, yeah. is he trying to save the ship? Did he get the contagion? No, he did not. Yeah, he was very, very calm. Which is almost terrifying when the engineer is super calm. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think engineers have <laughs> like, a, when things get really um, everything's going on at once, there's a big problem and it has to be solved pretty soon. It, it's almost like in my brain, at least there's a, a switch that flips. Oh. Because usually I'm very excited. I'm very happy because, well, I'm working on a rover that's on Mars. And so when I go into work to do my shifts for the, the uplink shifts, I'm like, oh, everybody, we're here. We're working on Mars. Oh, we're going to have a great day. I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of enthusiasm. Right. But then when things are going wrong and there's a really serious problem that we really have to do now, it just seems like uh, something switches in my brain. And then suddenly I'm like, hammer. I'm like, all right, right. this is what we need to do. You do this, you do that, and you do this, and come back, and then we'll make a decision. And I know and, you probably can't talk about specific things, but, like, what types of problems do you encounter because you're working remote? Like, you have to communicate with something that's not in front of you that you can't hands-on fix. How do you kind of Right, that is problems? difficult. But um, so when we do Uplink, we um, sort of spend like six to 10 hours, however long it's going to take to come up with the list of commands and the sequences that are going to go up to the rover. And that's what she's going to do for the rest, for the full next day of her little life on Mars. And so we call it, yeah, we call, (laughs) yes, she's a she. So we um, call a day on Mars a Sol. And so we plan a Sol. So we plan one Sol. On Friday, we plan three Sols. But so um, things can go wrong during our planning session because we need to be finished and time for those commands to go up to her. And she's going to wake up at a certain time on Mars. I think right now it's like about 11 a.m. Usually it's nominally it's 9.30 a.m. At 9.30 a.m. on Mars, she wakes up and we send her commands on what to do for the next day or a couple of days. And then she goes and does that. And so the pro- so we have two kinds of problems. We have problems in preparing those uplink products because you've all used a computer and you know that when you really need your computer to do something, sometimes it's like, no, no I'm not letting not. you see your email. No, you can't get in this program. This isn't working. And so we, re- we hit those kind of problems. We have a suite of tools that we call a ground data system that we right. use to prepare and check all those sequences before they go up to the rover so that we make sure that she's going to do what we intended and okay. that she won't come to harm. 
so we run into problems with our tools. Um, and when we run into those problems in the tools, it's like, well, now we have to get someone to try and fix it or find a workaround. And so there's a lot of pressure there. And then we have problems that come from Mars. Like we've sent her commands, she's done them. Something has gone wrong. Um, like uh, not that long ago, we uh, took a sample because uh, she collects samples for return to Earth because she's the first step of sample collection. Uh, but um, there was FOD, what we call FOD, foreign object debris in, in the drill and in the bit carousel. And so well, after we take a sample and we do all this stuff, then we image all of our hardware to make sure it's okay. And there was now something that didn't come from the sample and shouldn't have come from the rover. And now suddenly it's there. And so uh -oh. we have to take the data that we get from Mars, figure out what's going on, come up with um, ways to either fix the problem or give us more information about the problem. So that's an anomaly response team is activated and they work that. And so that's the kind of problems that we hit. Jeez, I can't. Ugh. I want to like when I was a kid, I watched Star Trek and I and I never even thought like, I don't know why I didn't even think I, I couldn't be a scientist. But like hearing what you guys go through and hearing like how much you problem solve, it's like, dang, like. I, I can't even, I, you guys are the coolest. Like I oh, remember, and I, and I went to, I grew up in LA. So I went to JPL and I saw like, I was probably like, when did I go? Like early 2000s, like 2001, 2002. So sorry. Hi. Um, and so I was seeing the first kind of like, you know, the, the prototypes and, and to see perseverance in person before it went up, it was very, very cool. Yeah. That was really cool to watch the Rover get built. Cause she was completely built. You know, all the parts came in from all over. The arm was built someplace. The wheels came from another place. So all those parts came to JPL and that's where she was actually constructed. Dang. And it was very exciting. <clears throat> so when I would have really long days before we landed and, um, I felt there were difficult days. I had a lot of meetings. We had to make a lot yeah. of decisions. People didn't always agree. And you're going through this and you've had a really rough day. I would just walk over to the overlook of the high bay and right. look down at the rover. And that's, you know, that would that was the help me get through that day. And this is what I'm doing this for. I'm doing this for this rover who's going to go to Mars and make fantastic science and make incredible discoveries. Is it easier to know that, you know, everybody wants, I think it's in creative decisions as well. Sometimes it's hard and creative to separate like, oh, they're dissing my idea or, oh, I have to fight for my, like egos get involved a little bit. Is it once you step back from it and you're like, I'm here for a movie or I'm here to do this particular part of this movie or, or this play or this fill in the blank, it's easier to kind of take that, to take that criticism and take that step back. Is it different or is it about the same when you're dealing with, you know, scientists and engineers trying to get to space in a Mars rover? Are those well, egos still present or is it always about the mission? Well, hopefully everyone's all about the mission, but yeah. everybody, if you're a systems engineer, you want to, and you have an experience, you want to give your experience. And, yeah. and what you learn very quickly is your idea or solution, you know, may or may not have been better. But all you can ask for is that the powers that be that are in charge, they listen to you yeah. and they take that into account when they make their decisions. Because I I get to make some decisions and some decisions I don't get to make. And I just have faith in the people that make them, that they have gotten all the information they need to make the proper decision so that we have a rover that will continue to operate on Mars. And there, we have some really good people on the mission. How long is Perseverance expected to persevere? In perpetuity well, or? Uh, 
well, not forever, but opportunity lasted about 15 years and she was only supposed to last 90 days. Um, but that was because we thought the dust would settle on her uh, solar panels. And then if you get enough dust on your solar panels, uh, we're seeing this with InSight right now, the InSight lander mm -hmm. that's on Mars has got so much dust on her solar panels. Her, her, she's not getting much power and her power is dwindling and the mission will probably come to an end. I forget when they announce what they announced, like in the next few months. But um, what happened with um, Spirit and Opportunity was that they got dust accumulation, but then these um, dust devils would f go over the rover and kind of clean them. Oh. And so you would get these miraculous cleaning events is what we called them. So our rover, um, when I was on Opportunity, we took a selfie where we looked down and looked at all the, uh, the, the, the top of the rover where the solar panels were, and it was completely covered in dust. And within a couple of months, we had a, a dust devil go over. And the next day, instead of getting like 400 and something watt hours out of the solar panels, we we're getting over 850 watt hours out of the solar panels. And, and you just come in one day and you're like, woohoo, power falling from the sky. Thanks, so, Mars. Yeah, and we did not expect that. And that's why she lasted so long. And Opportunity, uh, excuse me, Curiosity, who has the same power source that um, Perseverance does, she just celebrated her 10th year on Mars. Yeah. So we're hoping that that Perseverance can last at least that long. That's awesome. Also kind of reminds me of like this Illyria, this Illyrian outpost experiences a storm, which, you know, the ghost saved them from. So Yeah, yeah. So it's Who like, saw that coming? Nobody. Maybe Spock, because he stayed calm while he was reading. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's important because, well, what are you doing, Spock? You're wasting your time. I'm getting information. <laughs> yeah, yes, I'm, he's, he's, I'm learning. He's learning. He's arming himself with information that could save them. Exactly. Like a true scientist. And Anson Mount, God love him, is just like, can you do it faster? <laughs> yeah, like... uh, yeah, he's fantastic. Oh, God, he's great. Um, the other part of this episode, which is, another aspect of your job that I want to talk about with you. Um, this episode switched the last model, the narrative model from the um, comet episode where is, as opposed to the away mission is the kind of a story in comet in the comet episode mm -hmm. with being on the comet and trying to get off. And the ship was supporting them as the B story. And this time it kind of switches where the ship is the a story. And you know, the away mission is trying to get back the two people who are stuck. Um, yes, this is an outpost mission. And so there was an outpost already built, but there's obviously no one there. And there's obviously like, they're trying to figure out kind of what happened. I guess I want to talk about away missions broader in terms of where we're at now in space exploration. And mm -hmm. what is the approach to exploring a planet from, you know, your guys's perspective and what you do and like, how do we approach like, going to mars basically because we if the further out we go if the further we go in space travel we will probably use a similar model of like how do we you know do we go there with a mission of like we are going to colonize or going to explore or what do we how do we explore how do we do away missions because this is an away mission yeah so um well at least with the mars exploration all our missions have built on what came before what did the mission mm -hmm. before mine what did they learn and what questions did they bring up? Because when Voyager went by Saturn, um, Voyager got all these lovely images of the moon Titan. Yeah. And they were just all these images of an orange blob because they couldn't see, th the cameras couldn't see through the methane in the atmosphere. And so then you had Cassini. 
and uh, Cassini had a lot of science objectives, but one of them was to what 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 is Titan? What's on the surface? What does the surface of Titan look like? Tell us more about Titan because this is a very interesting moon. And also, they took a Cassini took a probe that the European Space Agency built called the Huygens probe. And so we actually dropped a probe that went all the way to the surface of Titan. And so we learned from that, and we used what we learned from that to, you know, design all of our Titan flybys and and stuff. And so you're just always trying to increase your knowledge. And so once we start going out further, like Spock. Yes, exactly. So I would imagine that these away missions would start more like um, what you see in the Stargate TV show. Okay. Right? So they go, well, they have their Stargate, they open the Stargate, and they send the little probe through little on its little wheels so that they know that it's safe for them. So I imagine in the future, hopefully, these these crewed missions, before they landed somewhere, they would be able to send some kind of robot or probe down to tell them, if is it really safe for me? What is really down there? Or you might, might have good enough instruments on the, the ship that they're in that you wouldn't need to send the probe. But I would always think it's a good idea to send an unmanned probe down to uh, to figure out, is it really safe for a human to go down there? Yeah. Unlike what they do in episode four, which I do want to touch on because we talked about it a little bit in, mm -hmm. uh, over text. Because um, Memento Mori is my personal favorite episode. I love everything about it. Um, but they definitely didn't do that. <laughs> When, when they're like, let's go into the brown dwarf and like play with lights. Let's like yeah, have it, a per. And I'm like, wouldn't you be able? To I guess not because you're in a brown dwarf, be able to control. Yeah, Star it Trek has never been for sending uh, robotic probes down. They've always just let's just beam down. We've got to this new planet. Let's beam down, see what's going on, and figure it out. Let's and just scan so. it to see if we can breathe in the atmosphere, and then we'll be good to go. <laughs> yeah, and occasionally, you know, in the original series, they would have their helmets, and and but mostly not. And I think that was probably just a budget decision, and but. That's where we got the transporters was they didn't have the money to make show them landing every week on a new planet. So they just came up with the transporters, which is not a bad idea. It's not. A no, it's call. awesome. It's awesome. But but yeah, going into the brown dwarf and being that close to a, a black hole. Oh, my God. That was that was creative. And that was creative. Um, but also I'm just like yelling at the TV like, but that's so dumb. <laughs> yeah, but Why? I like what what captain pike said it's the enterprise she can take it and i'm like yes she can yes she can she can do it <laughs> she can persevere and, yeah i also like the um the i guess the mentoring or the uh feedback mm -hmm. that that captain pike gave to lawn oh this my is, god yeah. and 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 how she immediately she kept her same concerns about the gorn and all that but she immediately changed how she interacted with the rest of the the, the crew and really inspired them. And I thought that I wish I hope that when if I'm at work and I get some feedback like that, that I can change and modify my behavior that quickly because that was just a great, you know, example of yeah. we've we've got for all of us to work together, we have to all believe that we can make it. And if I believe we can make it, then everybody around me will believe we can make it. My favorite moment was when it's like, yeah, we need to go further into the brown dwarf. And Spock is just like, that is not what I suggested. <laughs> like, hold on. Like, yeah, I did not say that. That is your call. <laughs> yeah, I did not. That is not what I said. Yes. <laughs> nope. Um, do you have someone, because we're talking about the La'an um, uh, Pike relationship, which does develop more. I love that they kept go that going throughout the series. And not, they didn't like hammer it that it was, or hammer it. 
Oh, yeah, all right. But um, in until it like already happened, which I also feel is a TOS trait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like this, you look this, back this and you're like, show oh, is yeah, very TOS, very. Um, and I, I'm trying to like figure out why. Like, I'm trying to like, I, I guess why I'm doing this not only is not only to learn, but also to figure out like why I love TOS so much and why it's different from from Next Generation. But I guess my question, my next question to you is like, do you have or did you have a hammer or a pike in your <laughs> scientific development and engineering development? Well, you always have to have someone that you feel is in your corner and you have to you need that person that says you can do it. And, you know, yeah. when I was in college, that was my grandmother. Oh. So I I struggled in college. I did not. I wasn't one of those people who just went to college, didn't have to study and made A's. I really struggled. It was very difficult for me. And I also had to put myself through college. So I was working at the same time. Damn. And so at some points it really was overwhelming. I felt like there's, I can't do this. Just can't do it. I'm just going to give up and I'm going to quit. And then whenever I would tell my grandmother that she's like, you can do it. You can absolutely do it. I went to college when I had a baby. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, well, if you can go to college with a baby that you're having you to look after, then, baby, I can do it. then I can do it because my daughter... grandma just one up me. Why don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, but it was very, it was very motivational. And then, you know, once, once I got in, at, to JPL, there was people that I, that were my mentors and my inspiration. And so yeah, all through my career, I've had mentors and, and people that inspired me. And you just look at some people and you're like, I thought I was good at this job, but look at them. Yeah. How do they know so much? And so it's always, you know, keeps me learning. I love to learn. I constantly mm-hmm. learn. I learn new jobs up at work, new roles, and just trying to make myself better. So nice. that's very Star a, Trek. Very Star Trek. Do you have a La'an or an Uhura? Well, um, not exactly, but mm. I do have... Um, uh, there is a lady who has now gone to um, to um, Houston, and she's gonna she's a flight director for Artemis now. Her name oh, is oh nice yeah Deanna Trujillo. Ooh. And and she was younger than me, but I always thought, wow, she's she's got it. She knows all this stuff, and she knows how to teach other people. And and so I just always used her sort of as a mentor. Yeah. And so. I think a, an aspect of the Star Trek universe is the ability to teach and pass on. Yes. As opposed to like other shows where it's like you stay in your lane and I stay in my lane, especially in this particular season of Strange New Worlds where you have a lot of them crossing, especially with the cadet program. You're you're seeing Mm. a lot of the crossover of like everyone knows everything and you're you're in Starfleet and you just got to figure out what you want to do. Yeah, but the thing about Hammer and Uhura was that his his purpose was to fix things that are broken. broken. And when he said that to her, it wasn't just that he fixed engineering things. He had sort mm-hmm. of felt like he had fixed her in a way yeah. to help her accept, you know, and be comfortable, you know, going out and doing things, even though she lost her family. Yeah. Um, by giving her one in a way. Yes. Um, exactly. And, yeah. And it was like the family that she needed because I'm sure like, cause her, she got into what's interesting about your story about your grandmother is that that's Uhura's story in a way mm-hmm. is that Very you much. Know, after she lost her parents in that accident, it's like she, her grandmother was her greatest inspiration. Um, but she didn't really know where she wanted to go. Um, but I think Hemmer was the kind of like hard, you know, 
very direct. Yes. Um, yeah, he said it like he saw it. Yeah. And he and did I, not sugarcoat it. And I think, you know, in xenolinguistics, you have to say it like you hear it. Like, you know, as much but as the you cadet can. rotation was such a brilliant idea. Oh, my God. Because we got to see we got to see everything through Uhura's eyes. Yeah. And you got to see the important parts of the ship because we kind of, especially in TOS, because I don't think they were quite up on their sides except for warp drive because Dune had just come out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, like they kind of like avoid um they don't avoid as much on Discovery, I've noticed. They really dive into, like, you know, this is how everything works. And, you know, they're more science and storytelling kind of pulling together because um, they need that as opposed to they're almost like a procedural where it's like. Yeah. Um, do you like Discovery? Speaking of. I have watched the first two seasons of Discovery yeah. and then Strange New Worlds came out. And so I really prefer Strange New Worlds because to me it is a lot more like the original series. Yeah. And um, um, so I need to get back to Discovery, but I keep getting sidetracked by things. Yeah. And then Lower Decks just came out in case you need a laugh. Yeah, I've heard that's really good. I have not seen that yet. It's funny. And uh, the, I, you know, if you want to catch up, I recommend it because apparently um, two of the leads are going to appear on Strange New Worlds season two. Oh, I had heard that, yeah. Which just wrapped filming. So it's coming, everybody. Yeah, I think it wrapped right before Dragon Con. Oh, thank God. Uh <laughs> yeah, because then I could get my uh, photo op with Anton Mount, and there was no plexiglass, which was, by the way, a total shock, because when I bought my photo op for him at Dragon Con, it said, Anton Mount will use plexiglass. I'm like, okay. I don't blame him. I want him yeah. to be safe. I don't want to endanger him. And then I get in there, and there's no plexiglass, and I just melt it down. That's awesome. Who it was, was the really first? Because you went to Dragon Con. I did not. I'm very sad. Um, Kevin texted me every day. He's just like, are you going to Dragon Con? I'm like, still the answer is no. <laughs> well, you should go next year because it is really a lot of fun. I want to go. Who was the coolest? Because you met Jess, who plays uh, Nurse Chapel, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, uh, Ethan, who plays Spock, and Anson, who plays Pike. Um, they're all interested in the science aspect of it, right? They're not just interested in like, you know, give me the script and, you know, I'll do my 12 hours. Well, yeah. And Anson, when he did a talk, he said that he was a lifelong Star Trek fan. Yes. And that he had a big moment when he sat in the chair for the first time. I bet he did. Because so. that is intense. And like when you become the captain of Enterprise, the Enterprise. to other ships, because mm -hmm. he was the cap technically the captain of Discovery in season two. Mm -hmm. yep. um, but I feel like Enterprise has such a, a, cultural significance um and i don't think that name has been used by any space organization in real life just out of oh like, yeah um the um the test uh space shuttle was called enterprise no way yes i didn't yes. know it, that and i actually i think and so i'm um, people are gonna I say oh my gosh space. how does she not know where it is but i think it's at the udvar hazy what and the uh, museum out near Dulles Airport that's run by the Air and Space Museum. I think the Enterprise is actually there. And so oh when, God. boy, I'm showing my age. So yes, people, I'm old. Um, so they had a, a flight test uh, uh, space shuttle that was just for, it didn't actually go into space, but they, they would drop it off and then mm -hmm. it would do a, you know, flight down. And so um, the original series actors actually went out to, uh, to NASA for a um, ceremony 
to That's name it cool. uh, Enterprise. And they named it Enterprise because so many Star Trek people wrote NASA and said, you have to name it Enterprise. You have to name it. You have to name it Enterprise. So that's the only Enterprise that we've had so far. That's pretty cool. All right. I will take that to the bank. That's my big learning moment for today. Um, I guess my other question, since I still have you for a, a second or two, um, is um, in Memento Mori, and, and talk about it as much or as you can. I know this is getting into more spaceship stuff now. Mm-hmm. Um, in Memento Mori, they have to switch a lot of their dials around because the second they go into the brown dwarf, they lose most of their, you know, in like they, they lose most of their scanning ability and they lose most of their communication ability. They lose, they basically become a submarine. And what did you see as like, when you're going in through a brown dwarf and it's like the deeper you go, you start getting like a lot of like the creaking of, of a, of a ship. Like it really did feel like a submarine was in space or a submarine going through water. Would a ship actually make those spaceship sounds because of the compression or like, like, I I just want to know if you noticed anything of that episode as an engineer that's like yes that's right or yo that's cool or you know you know well i, I can thought imagine. it was all really cool because i mean you know people always want to fly into you know jupiter or saturn but it, and the brown dwarfs the same way it's a big gas giant and as the further in you go the more the atmospheric pressure increases and so that's why they were doing all the creaking and stuff and i imagine if you were in, on the spacecraft you would definitely hear that and as parts of the the ship buckle, you would I would think definitely hear that. But sometimes they just add stuff because it's cool and it's nice suspense. And yeah. so usually when I'm watching something like Star Trek, I turn off that part of my brain that says that's wrong. And it mm. only gets reactivated when uh, they do something really, really, really horrible. And that doesn't usually come in the science fiction, but sometimes it does. I mean, like if you, the Enterprise doesn't, normally fly like a, a, a real spacecraft would it flies like an airplane i mean right like, it does all this weaving and that and stuff and and all the um all of our spacecraft have thrusters that that point in every direction and we just fire the thrusters and so different. for a spacecraft to go here it just goes there goes there it doesn't need to turn the only time we have to turn and point a certain thing in a certain direction is when we want to do science and for so to get good science this this instrument, this on the, the spacecraft has to point that way. So then we turn so that that instrument points that way. And so if you've ever watched Babylon 5, yes. Babylon 5, their spacecraft fly exactly like spacecraft are supposed to. Okay. And when uh, I think it was the Minbari were being chased, uh, I can't remember who it was. And anyway, they somebody was being chased by another spacecraft and it just flipped over and, and was immediately guns up. And I'm like, oh, yes, yes, that's how spacecraft fly. But because George Lucas, when he did the original Star Wars, what he gave to the uh, um, his um, special effects people was footage of World War II dogfights. And so, yes. so all everything in Star Wars flies like an airplane. And in Star Trek, it's, it's pretty much the same, too. They don't fly in, like a normal spacecraft would fly. But I just let that go because I love seeing the Enterprise going to like in and out. Uh, and yes, it's amazing. That's it's so fun. Cool. So. Ortegas won. Yes. Yeah, so when Ortegas is flying, you know, trying to get to the front of the, you get in front of that comet, Ortegas, and she does, it's, she does. I'm with her. I'm there with her. I'm, you know, I'm sweating bullets with her, but, but it's not what a spacecraft flies like. So. Yeah. 
are is a more accurate i guess not because i was gonna say like those little like you know pods that they take those little like individual like crafts Does yeah that's why more like the spatial no, they don't they're... fly like they're still planes yeah they, they don't really do that in star trek or star wars Babylon 5, I think, is one of the few places. And now I haven't seen a lot of the new stuff that's out. I haven't seen The Expanse and several other things. I know I'm behind, woefully behind. I'm behind, too. I will never, but, ever catch um, up at this point. But Babylon 5 has been the only one that I've seen get it correct. Yeah. But I'm excited that, you know, we're getting... I think people are... are, are forget, like, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but like I think people are hunting for stories that are more optimistic, especially after the time that we just went through. And I feel like science fiction and, you know... The fear of the unknown, but the excitement of the unknown is more, you know, I, I, what's funny is that before 2020, all of these post-apocalyptic stories were greenlit because mm -hmm. they're like, they're, they're West, they're like Westerns. <laughs> they're like, okay, let's get out of superheroes and back into Westerns, but people don't like Westerns. So what do we like post-apocalyptic? And then we went through the apocalypse. So I'm wondering if there was a, there's an uptick in optimistic space. <laughs> I hope so, because I mean... The positive future that you see in Star Trek is is amazing. Do you Where think everybody that, working together? Yeah. It's just wonderful. Do you think that more people with this new Star Trek content will be driven into robotics and engineering and space exploration as a field and as a STEM field? Oh yes. Yes, I do. I do. I think all the science fiction that's out there, all the written and and filmed, it's that's what it does. I mean it doesn't do it to everybody, but it certainly you get that interest in wanting to know more about the science or the engineering. And uh, even for people who go into different careers, I think a lot of people that were grew up on watching Star Trek and things like that, they keep that with them. And that's why I can go to a place like Dragon Con and go to the space track and do a, a talk and I'll have 200 people come to my talk, you know, when they could go down the hallway and, and see and someone else, but they want to hear about the Perseverance Rover because they're really interested in that. And it's yeah. and, and science fiction conventions are amazing. There's so many some really smart people there, and they really stay up on what NASA is doing. Yeah, some people just um, make a podcast about it. Okay. But that that's <laughs> wonderful. That's fantastic. I love this podcast. It's one of the most fun things I've ever done, and it's it's what's the best part about it. And we're gonna wrap up in a second, but the best part about it is how many new people from not my industry I get to meet. Like I get to talk to you and I get to talk to Kevin and I get to talk to Jessica and like all of these people who I normally wouldn't interact with or have a common bond with. And it's like science fiction and that, especially Star Trek kind of solidifies that everyone has a bond. Everyone has a connecting point. You just have to find it. And so I'm really grateful that you spent your afternoon with me. I'm really no, I grateful appreciate to, it. I to love share this. Like this. I, I'm, I love this stuff. So I'm, I just had a blast talking to you and learning about, I feel like I talked to like a hammer and a Scott. I, I like, I got an engineer. <laughs> like, like I got like a red shirt. Yeah. Well, I can only hope that I can live up to their example. We all do. I mean, you know, Scotty and hammer and you know, for people who are watching, who watched the show, you know, hammer is quite an example. And I hope you don't live up to that. <laughs> No, no, but I do try to live up to Scotty, and I did learn from him that if if somebody wants something from me, I double my how long I think it's going to take. That's smart. So. <laughs> I'm, I actually didn't think about that, and I should do that in my life. Too. Oh yeah, 
How long is that going to take you? Two weeks. Two weeks. You got it done in a week. It's a miracle, Kim. No, it's not. <laughs> so I yeah. should do that. I should. I think more. I, I'm not going to. You heard it here, folks. Uh, I am not doing that. <laughs> um, thank you so much for spending your afternoon with me, Kim. And uh, are you, you're still on Perseverance. Is there anything in your future that you can tell us about? Or is it you're persevering on Perseverance? I'm right now persevering on Perseverance. And I'm hopefully we'll learn some new roles, you know, to do. And um, hopefully Perseverance will keep going. And we'll just have a wonderful time working this, with the scientists and making fantastic science for everybody to read about. Woohoo! And make movies about and make TV shows about. Absolutely. Um, and if you want to, if listeners want to know more about uh, the Mars Rover Project or Mars Perseverance, uh, go to the NASA.gov website and JPL. They have a ton of information um, and it's all very interesting. And I highly recommend uh, reading up on some of the work that Kim is doing because it's really, really cool in real life and not just in fake life. Um, thank you so much. I'm going to sign off. Final Frontier. Episode three, In the Bag. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 